what would I change about my upbringing if I could? Should Catholics and Protestants get married? How do you get through first trimester morning sickness? What are the consequences long-term of legal euthanasia? And do Christians have to vote Republican to be Christian? We are going to be answering all of these questions and many more on today's episode of Relatable, which is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com slash Allie. That's GoodRanchers.com slash Allie. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Relatable. I am going to answer some of the questions that you all sent me on Instagram. You sent me a lot of interesting ones per usual. I will try to give a a concise answer to each one. I could typically, you guys send me such good questions that I could go off on one answer for the entirety of the episode. I will try not to do that so I can answer as many questions as possible. So the first question, it's at the very top of my list on Instagram that I thought was interesting. I have not been asked before. If you could change something about how you grew up, would you and why? So I'm sure that everyone has different things that they wish maybe were different. It could have nothing to do with anything that your parents chose. Maybe it's like where you lived geographically, the kind of school that you went to. I'm sure there are things that if I sat down to think about it, I could change, but or I would want to change. But the first thing that comes to my mind is that I wish that I had had a sibling that was closer in age to me. Um, I have two older brothers, 10 and seven, 10 and a half and seven years older than me. And my parents got married young. They started having kids young and then they just waited a little while to have their final child, moi. And so love my brothers, but I think it's a different dynamic when you have a sibling that's close in age and that you can just experience life with that can um, just kind of like help you through those formative years. I want that for my kids. My husband also has two sisters that are eight and six years older than him. So he was kind of in the same situation. I didn't have a sister. He didn't have a brother and we didn't have any siblings that were very close in age. Now it's different because we're all adults. And so we're kind of all in a similar life stage. But growing up, I mean, I was, I think, eight years old and my oldest brother left for college. And so I wish I had had, I wish I had had a sister that was closer in age to me. Although I, you know, I love having, I loved having brothers. I think that would have just been fun. All right. Here's another question. This time it's for advice. Sister is getting married. Ungodly couple. I'm a bridesmaid help. So that's difficult. I think it's probably good that they are getting married, the union of a man and a woman and holy matrimony is a good thing. It would be much better if they were Christians and recognize that their marriage is a reflection of Christ, the bridegroom, and the church, the bride, that there is eternal and holy, heavenly significance to the union that they are entering into. But you as a Christian, you know that. And so you can celebrate that and you can pray that they would come to the recognition of that. Um, maybe, I don't know, the kind of relationship that you have with your sister. I don't know if she would be open to a conversation before her wedding or a letter. Maybe just saying, um, you know, hey, I love you. I'm excited for you if that is true. And here is just something that I want you to know. I want you to know that, you know, God made you fearfully and wonderfully. I want you to know that God knew that you were 
going to get married on this day. I want you to know that, you know, um, that God sent his son to die for you, share the gospel with her and just continue to pray for her and to be the person that comes to her mind first when she thinks, wow, I think I've lost my way, or I think I want to know truth. I think I want to know joy. I think I want to know freedom. May you be the first person that comes to her mind to talk to, and may you be open to that conversation. Since it seems to be a union of a man or a woman, I don't think there's any moral qualms in you going to the wedding, being a part of the wedding, um, supporting the wedding. Um, But yes, I would do everything that you can to encourage, to pray, to lead by example, and to um, share the gospel. Uh, Someone asked, does anyone check the emails on your website? Yes, I do have an assistant that checks the emails on my website, but we have a high volume of emails, so not everyone gets a response. Um, We try our best to respond to everything that we can, but not everything and everyone gets gets a response. We just kind of have to filter things out. I also try to answer messages on Instagram. I don't answer as many as I wish that I uh, that I wish that I could. I just, you know, don't have the capacity to do that. But I am a pretty response. I'm a pretty responsive person on those things. So if I did miss your email or your message, um, I am sorry about that. Someone asks opinions on paternity leave. Ha ha. Uh, that's a good question. I think paternity leave is great. I think the company should offer paternity leave. Now, me thinking that companies should offer paternity leave versus thinking that the government should force companies to offer paternity leave, those are two different things. I do think that companies should. That widely varies. I am so thankful that when I had both of our kids that my husband had six weeks of paternity leave. That is very generous. I understand not all companies can afford that and can give that. And then I think maternity leave was like three months for the moms who had babies. I mean, they had all kinds of things like that. And so he could actually take them in like two week chunks. So I think he took like two weeks when the babies were born. And then like they all have to be taken, though, within the year after birth. And so that was great. Like we could use that for vacations and things like that. And um, so that was awesome. And I don't know what I would have done if he hadn't had paternity leave. I mean, I had, as most of you know, two C-sections and the recovery can be absolutely brutal. And we have other family in the area that I'm very thankful for. My mom was super helpful, but I mean, your husband is the one that is next to you in bed, who is helping you get up when you can't, like helping bathe you when you can't after surgery and like going to like get the baby when you can't lean over to like make sure that you can nurse the baby in the middle of the night. And so I cannot imagine my husband not having any paternity leave. I think absolutely every company that can offer paternity leave should. It's not just so that he can have time off, although I think that's fine and bond with the baby, but it's also so he can help the mom, whether she had a C-section or not. There's a lot of recovery there and she needs help. She just does. So I am all for generous paternity leave. Um, Someone asked, how will Jesus have time with everyone in heaven? So I think your question is, how will Jesus like have time to talk to everyone? Because everyone will be asking him questions. Well, we will all be in one way or another worshiping Christ. And you have to remember that heaven exists outside of time and space. And so 
it is not tracking along our finite understanding of linear time. It, you know, it, it one day is a thousand years. And so, uh, you know, figuratively speaking. And so it's not going to be the same time lapse situation in heaven as it is here. We're not going to be counting the seconds, looking at our clock saying, oh, it's been one year, it's been two years, I'm guessing. Um, and so uh, because we'll be in eternity and because Jesus is infinite, we don't have to worry about like time running out or him not having enough time. I don't know exactly what that interaction will look like, but I'm not worried about uh, time running out for the God of the universe. Um, all right, let's see some other questions. Thoughts on being a Protestant married to a Catholic. So I think that that would be difficult. I think that would be difficult. Not impossible, obviously, because there are Protestants who are married to Catholics. It depends on how firm you are and the doctrines of your faith. I would say that probably most Catholics and Protestants that marry one or the other is not very, not very sure, or probably not very firm in the doctrines of their faith that are in opposition to like Protestants or Catholics faith. I mean, I, I would guess that that is usually the case because if you are very passionate that salvation is by grace through faith alone, and that that is the differentiator between Catholicism, uh, Catholicism and Protestantism. And you are like very firmly against infant baptism. You are very firmly against the papacy and the structure of the Catholic Church, which like a very reformed, passionate Protestant would be. It would be hard for me to believe that you would, you know, marry a Catholic and, the, and vice versa for Catholics. Um, so I would say that when it happens, there is probably some compromise on someone's part there. Um, I think it would be difficult for those theological reasons. You got a lot of questions to answer about how you're going to raise your kids, what kind of church you're going to go to, those big theological differences that you are going to implement into your kids, infant baptism versus believer's baptism, all kinds of things. And so those are conversations that you need to have. Um, I think it's much better when you don't have to agree on everything, of course, with your spouse. There are going to be things even theologically that you disagree on. I think, though, you should agree on some of the big things. You should agree on what kind of church you're going to go to and what kind of theology you're going to raise your kids in and what kind of school you want them to go to. Because marriage is already filled with disagreements. You're different people. You're bringing different sins in. You're dif bringing different perspectives and experiences is in. All of those things have to work them out, have to work themselves out through, you know, relationship building. I would rather not have to work through the big fundamental theological spiritual things in addition to all the other natural stuff that you have to work through um, as a married couple. Next question, how to survive first trimester all day sickness dying here? Well, I'm so sorry that you're not feeling well been there, girl. I have been there. Congratulations. I don't know if this is your first or fifth baby, but congrats on carrying life inside the womb. So I will say, and I know that this, this part isn't helpful. I'll get to the helpful part. I 
wasn't super, super sick with either of my pregnancies. I wasn't like throwing up or like couldn't function. There were like periods of time where I didn't want coffee, where I didn't want certain foods. The only thing that sounded good was a Chick-fil-A chicken biscuit. And so I would just say like, eat what you can. Don't worry too much. Of course, you want to eat healthy. I know you want good sustenance and good nutrition for you and the baby. I'm not saying that's not important, but it's also important that you eat. Like it's also important that you have calories. And if the only thing that sounds good is a piece of toast or a biscuit, if that's the only thing that you can keep down right now or some crackers, make sure you do that. Don't not eat. Make sure that you're staying hydrated. Um, I have used a lot of pink stork products. They're not like a sponsor or anything. I found that they work pretty well. I had like this morning sickness tea that I took by them um, that I liked. I, I took their labor prep tea too. And so, and they're a Christian company. So that's pretty cool. Their stuff is made in America. I'm just giving them some free advertising. So maybe, maybe some tools can help. Uh, some people recommended, and I did this, I think, I think that I did this towards the end of my pregnancy because I dealt with nausea. Then please double check and do your own research on this because I don't entirely remember. But um, there was a, a time that I was nauseous. And so I diffused like peppermint oil and that can help with nausea. Um, I did that during labor too. Um, and so that's maybe something to consider, but please do your research on that and make sure that you are doing it safely and that it's safe for you. Also remember... It's temporary. It's temporary unless you have like permanent nausea throughout your pregnancy, which some people do. But you will probably start feeling better if not around week 12, around week 16. That's what it was for me. From week 16 to like week 32, that was my sweet spot. Before that, didn't feel great. After that, I just get huge and my hips hurt and I can't sleep. But 16 to 32 weeks, especially if you haven't been pregnant before and you don't know about like the second trimester sweet spot, it's coming. So just hang on. Um, all right, let's see. Someone asks infant baptism or says infant baptism wants me to talk about that. I cover that on a recent episode. We'll link it in the description of this episode because I can't remember uh, the number. Um, let's see. What do I think about horror movies? Don't love them. I don't, I mean, I don't think that they're the most edifying thing. I can take a little bit of fear. I can take suspense. I, you know, I'll get in like the the mood for those kinds of movies and those kinds of shows. I'm okay with that. But terrifying horror movies with like exorcism and satanic activity. There's a lot of actually like real scary things that go on in the world that already make me sad and burdened. I don't really want to spend my like leisure entertainment time also just like weighing down my brain with things that are going to make me more anxious than the world already does. Um, my, I want my wife and I to move away. Someone says she wants to stay local. What's your advice? My husband and I were also in this situation. Uh, 2016, we lived in Athens, Georgia, and he wanted to move to a bigger city. And I did not. I was happy doing what I was doing. I wasn't doing this. I knew I wanted to do something like this one day. And I was just kind of starting to like write a blog and do videos. But I figured I can do all of that from home. I don't need I don't need to move anywhere. Well, he wanted to move to a different place. I did not want to. I was like very sure. I was set on it. I had like my plan of how the next two years would go, I told him, okay, 
I think maybe we can reconsider this in a couple years. And um, he just continued to pray about it. And we continued to talk about it. And this was probably like the first big, because we got married in 2015. So this is probably like the first big thing, major thing that I was like, okay, this is what it's going to look like to follow him as the leader of our family. Um, and if he is saying that he thinks that it's best for us and best for his job for us to move, then I need to trust him on that. So after a lot of prayer and a lot of talking, it just kind of hit me at the beginning of 2017 that, okay, this is right. He's right. He ended up getting a job and we moved. And wow, that was like the best decision for our family that we could have made. I mean, it was the exactly right thing for our family our jobs and uh, for our future children. We didn't have kids yet at the time. And so I guess my advice is to keep praying, keep talking about it. You don't let this drive a wedge between you guys. Don't let this like, don't allow this to um, be used by Satan to start harboring resentment or bitterness against her. And I hope that you're wife doesn't allow that to fester against you because Satan can use this to divide. Remember that Satan hates marriage. He hates the unity of a married man and a woman. He hates the family because it is a representation of Christ in the church, his arch nemesis. Um, And so he will use anything, any kind of disagreement to try to drive you apart and to damage your relationship and to make you less loving and gentle towards one another. And so examine your own heart. Make sure that you are listening to the Lord, that you have been praying about this, that you have thought about this practically, that you are making the right decision with the right motivations. Talk to some other godly people in your life. Make sure that you're plugged into a church. Listen to your wife's concerns. Her concerns may be totally legit, and she may be making better points, but if you feel convicted by the facts, uh, the facts at hand and by the power of the Holy Spirit that you need to move, then you need to pray, pray um, that the Lord would change your wife's heart, even if she doesn't want to move, that she would realize that in godly and loving submission to the good and loving leadership of her husband, um, that she should support um this decision. That is how it is to go. So a lot of prayer, a lot of conversation. Um, Let's see. Next question. View on euthanasia. 10,000 plus Canadians chose to use in 2021. Will it be an option in the USA? Well, the death cult um, that exists in the USA uh, would absolutely love this. They call it dying with dignity. Just like abortion, dying with dignity is a euphemism. It's a euphemism for uh, assisted suicide, which I think is a form at least of manslaughter. Again, this goes back to, as we've talked about before, like when consent is the bare, when consent is the only standard for morality and decency and virtue, rather than just like the bare minimum standard, then you get things like assisted suicide just because someone consents to something just because someone chooses something doesn't mean that it should be legal doesn't mean that it's none of our business doesn't mean that it's right this not only will lead to 
sick people to weak people to people who are too much of a burden on the system, especially socialized system in Canada, being convinced by doctors, by family members that they just need to die. This is not going to be one of those situations where totally autonomous people, and even if it were, like it would still be wrong, but it's not going to be one of those situations where totally autonomous people are taking matters into their own hands. No, what it's going to turn into is people who are too weighty on the system and are not productive or valuable enough to society being killed. And they will coerce and convince and manipulate them to sign the dotted line and to agree to be euthanized. That's what's going to happen. And it just comes from our disregard for human life, which is downstream from our disregard for God as the creator of the heavens and the earth, as the creator of human beings, as the ascriber and the giver of value and worth. It is downstream um, assisted suicide, abortion, the genital mutilation of kids is all downstream from secular humanism, which views us all as arbitrary blobs of matter, as accidental clumps of cells. The Christian worldview, which is the only rational and moral worldview, says that no, no, no. The body is good. The body is be, is and can be the dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. No, the body was made male or female in God's image. The body matters so much that Jesus took on flesh. God took on flesh to dwell among us. The body matters so much that we are told in Scripture that there will be a resurrection of the bodies. And so... The Christian worldview cares about lives. We care about the vulnerable people. We care about the sick. We care about the orphan. We care uh, about uh, the victims. That is why almost every uh, organization that helps the poor, that feeds the hungry, that uh, heals the sick, hospitals, nonprofit organizations, refugee organizations, all have a Christian name and were founded by Christians. That is what Christians do. So Christians should oppose this. It creates and further exacerbates um, the culture of death that has already been waged by abortion activists and those who do not care about the body, who do not believe in a soul. Of course, the ghouls at the World Economic Forum who think that our biggest problem is overpopulation, their Malthusian dread of running out of resources because of too many people leads them, which again is downstream from not believing in God, leads them to push for absolutely atrocious and morally bankrupt policies like abortion and like assisted suicide. We absolutely must oppose it. And it doesn't surprise me at all that Canada has embraced it. Their morality is completely inverted, completely upside down. Um, Let's see, someone asked me, so there's lots of questions that I'm just scrolling through it. Um, Do I really think, this probably doesn't come from a friendly, do you really think all good Christians vote Republican? No, I don't think, I think that some Christians vote third party. I think some Christians don't vote at all. I think there, I mean, yes, I think that there are genuine Christians who vote Democrat. I think they're wrong. I think that Christians, true Christians who vote Democrat, I mean, Christians make mistakes all the time. Christians have wrong beliefs. Christians do wrong things. So for me to say that you cannot be a Christian and vote Democrat would 
be to say that you can't make a mistake and you can't sin and still go to heaven. Now, do I think that you can simultaneously hold um, the all the beliefs of the Democratic Party, all the beliefs of progressivism and be a true Christian? Not for very long. Like eventually you're going to get have to get sanctified out of those things. I'm not saying all of them are deal breakers, but if you are um, pro-LGBTQ, if you are pro-abortion, uh, then that something's got to give at some point. It would be really difficult for you to follow the God of the universe, for you to be denying yourself, taking up your cross and following Christ and therefore believing what his word says is authoritative and believe all of the major and um, main points of the progressive Democrat platform. That would just be really difficult. I'm not saying, because thankfully I'm not the arbiter of this, that you can't go to heaven. I'm not saying that you have to vote Republican. There are plenty of ungodly Republicans out there. But when I'm looking at what the Bible says and looking at which kind of like earthly philosophy and earthly system best aligns with human flourishing and human thriving and also allows me to abide by God's word. I mean, of course, that's why I have this podcast, because I do think conservatism best flows out of a biblical worldview. Of course I do. Um, And so that does not mean that everyone votes the same way. But when it comes to the platforms, when it comes to the points, when it comes to the values, yeah, it's going to be really hard for you to abide in God's word and support the platform of the current Democratic Party. You either do not understand the current platform of the Democratic Party. You don't understand the effects of their policies on people's lives. You don't you don't understand the value system and the morality that they represent. You don't know the consequences of their policy, whether it's economic policy or social policy. You're just totally ignorant of those things and you've believed, oh, yeah, it's just compassionate, tolerant and and right to vote Democrat. And Jesus calls us to be compassionate and tolerant and loving. So that must be right. Or, you know, all of the points of the Democratic Party and progressivism and you don't know your Bible. It would be You'd be hard pressed to really fully understand those things and then successfully reconcile them. That said, once again, lots and lots of Republicans, a lot of people who are conservatives who think that being a Christian just means saying that you believe in God and going to church sometimes. And so I'm not at all saying that conservatism or Republicanism is salvific in any way. There's a lot of just not Christians on the right, of course. But when I'm looking at the thoughts or like the philosophy, the ideas, the points of conservatism versus progressivism and weigh them against the Bible, it's no contest. It's no contest. Um, uh, let's see. Mm. Have I watched? Oh, this is a good question. Have I watched Uncle Tom? Two yet. I've been meaning to talk about this. Yes, I have. Everyone should go watch Uncle Tom 2. Um, I watched it. I watched it at the premiere with my husband and it was really good, like very compelling, very well made. Our our man Vody Bacham is in it. Our uh, 
Peeps, Daryl Harrison, Virgil Walker are in it. I mean, I love those guys so much. And I'm very thankful that they were given a voice. So definitely go watch Uncle Tom 2. It's really interesting. Like there were so many different pieces of it that could have just been like their own documentary. You will definitely learn a lot. Do I think that there will be a red wave in November? I think that it I think that the that Republicans will take over the House. I don't know about the Senate. I don't think it's going to be a huge red wave. I do think that as other conservative commentators are saying that Republicans are losing momentum. I do think that the abortion issue actually is is a bigger deal than Republicans thought it would be, mostly because of lies from the media saying, oh, you know, this has caused women with miscarriages to not be able to get abortions. So people are scared. Um, so I think that it will be like a red trickle. I do think that definitely Republicans will win some seats. Do I think it's going to be a tidal wave? No, I don't think so. Ever been to Scotland? It's home for me now, but I live in Missouri. Or it's home for me, but I live in Missouri now. I miss it, but not since 2020. Yeah, I know it's gotten so crazy. Yes, I have been to Scotland. Um, I studied abroad there when I was in college from for, I don't know, five or so months. We lived in Edinburgh and lived in an apartment on Queen Street. I was actually just talking to my husband about this last night, how looking back, it was pretty small apartment, but I don't know. It was probably considered nice for European standards. Speaking of European standards, they we had like our the washing machine situation was just a washing machine in the kitchen and the dryer was just like spinning it really fast after it got done washing. Oh, my goodness, guys. Like we are very, very fortunate and privileged in the U.S. of A. I saw um, Sagar and Jetty, we've had him on before, and he was like doing this whole thread a few months ago about how Europe is just terrible. And I don't totally agree with that, although I would not want to live there for several reasons. And uh, he, I think he was talking about like washer and dryers or something like that. And someone responded was like, whatever, like I can wash and dry my jeans in all in all in one machine and they are completely dry by the next day. L-O-L. You know that our jeans are like dry in like 30 minutes, bro. Come on. Um, but I do love Scotland. Loved Scotland. I would I want to go back. I know it's crazy, but I really I, I, you know, politically and all that over there. But I loved it. I would love to go when it was warmer. It was really cold while I was there. And really, like, I just wasn't there long enough for it to even warm up. So it was really rainy, all that. But, um, wow, it was beautiful. Edinburgh was beautiful. Did not have a great time in Glasgow. It's Glasgow, right? Because it was so rainy. Um, But, yeah, that was fun. That was fun studying abroad. I got to go to Paris. I got to go to London. I got to go to Rome and Naples, uh, Barcelona. I'm trying to think uh, the uh, Amsterdam. That was super fun. That was maybe one of like my favorite places that I went, even though it was also very cold and rainy. Had huge pancakes, went to Anne Frank's house, saw all kinds of like architecture and stuff. So that was super fun. Uh, okay, I think that's all I have time for uh, as far as questions go. Anyway, hope you enjoy this. We will see you back here soon.